Everybody, welcome back to the Seven Figure Flipping Podcast. This is Bill Allen, and on today's show, I've got Mitch Stevens. So Mitch is a owner finance investor, so he does a ton of owner finance deals, about 100 a year down in San Antonio, Texas. Uh, I originally found out about Mitch a few years ago and uh, read a book called My Life in a Thousand Houses. I was on his podcast recently, and we got along so well that I asked him to come kind of share his strategy with you guys. Because I feel like right now, in, we're in a little bit of transitional time potentially, um, things, as the real estate market changes and morphs and adapts and adjusts, we have, to, we have to be flexible and we have to figure out other exit strategies from time to time. So I thought that it, like selling houses on owner finance for our wholesaling community would be a great thing to hear about. Now, what I, I want you guys to be careful jumping down rabbit holes and doing lots of different things and losing your focus because there's lots of shiny objects out there and I get that. But there's some amazing content and information here that Mitch shares with us of reasons why you should be using this as a potential exit strategy to build your portfolio. And we talk a lot about raising money and some of the other things. And so the ability to raise a bunch of private capital, you have the deal flow that's already coming in as a wholesaler or potentially a flipper that's marketing directly to sellers. So this is a great strategy to think about as using a, another exit strategy. So dial in the business you have right now think about this and how you can implement it and bolt it onto your company. And uh, Mitch has got some incredible takeaways from this uh, podcast. So we'll jump right in right now and uh, kind of hear the conversation between me and Mitch Stevens. So here we go. My name is Bill Allen, and I'm the leader of a group of elite house flippers and wholesalers called Seven Figure Flipping. We don't brag or show off our success, but instead let integrity and stewardship be our guide. We are dedicated to helping people unlock the freedom they desperately need. If you ask other real estate investors, they will say to keep your secrets quiet. But we believe in abundance, not scarcity. And that's why we are the elite. We are Seven Figure Flipping, and this podcast is our playbook. Hey, everybody. I've got a really exciting show for you today. It's somebody whose podcast I was just on and somebody whose world I found myself into. Uh, I, I, like, I don't know. I meandered into his world of... Um, owner financing houses when I was um, just trying to figure out this wholesaling business. I was finding houses for cheap that I was um, not sure what to do with. I was having trouble moving them. And um, I found his book, um, read his book and said, wow, there's something massive here on the owner financing side where I can actually buy the houses and owner finance them back down in Pensacola. So I bought a domain name, I set it all up, I did a couple of them, and then just like a typical entrepreneur, my focus went somewhere else, and I wish I could go back in time and redo it, and maybe we will one day. But um, what I wanted to do is I want to bring him on the show right now, because I think right now, uh, the time with the coronavirus and some changes in the market and some shifting that might be happening potentially, some of the wholesalers are struggling to move their properties. So what I want to do is I want to bring him on and talk about some of these strategies for owner financing to give you another exit strategy for your deals where you might not have to rely on another buyer, uh, like another like flipper or another landlord, where you've got some great deals and you don't want to lose them. So um, I'm interested to hear a little bit about his story, how he got going, his massive success. I mean, thousands and thousands of houses when I talked to him, just absolutely amazing to hear his story and what he's done. And he's been doing this for a really long time. So I'm excited to introduce you guys to Mitch Steven. Mitch, thank you so much for coming on and taking some time to talk with me. Man, it's my pleasure to be here, Bill. We, uh, you know, it's different times, but wealth is made from chaos, right? So there's a lot of chaos out there and uh, we're out there doing it again. Did it in the recession and doing it again now in this pandemic. They're different. They're very different. Yeah, I think it's, uh, it's going to be interesting to hear kind of uh, your strategy. I think we've talked a lot about seller financing. We talk a lot about subject to, we talk 
and teach about all of that stuff. But um, I'm interested to hear from, from your angle, like maybe tell a little bit about your, uh, if, if anybody doesn't know about you, a little bit more about you and then kind of why you pick that kind of strategy and then we can dig into the tactics. All right, what I'm fixing to tell you right now in $7, I'll get you a cup of coffee at Starbucks, okay? So um, I've bought about 100 houses a year for over two decades. So it's if you do the math, I've bought a house about every four to five days for two and a half decades. So that being said, I sell our finance about 70% of the houses that I sell to my buyer. So this is where uh, I can make you cringe if you're a wholesaler because when you, you know, my, I average 12% down. I average about, you know, 10 to 12,000 down is my average down payment. That's about what the average wholesale profit is. I think it, it, it might even be a little more than the average wholesale profit. Right. Can we agree on that? Yeah, absolutely. Like depending on, I've made anywhere from like two to 3000 on some deals and some of the bigger markets like 20, but yeah, we average in our market of Pensacola for everybody that's listening. Um, I started averaging about eight and we're probably around 10 to 12 now. And then in, in Nashville, we probably average around 16, just a bigger market. It also cost me a lot more to get the deal there, but yeah, absolutely. Like 10 to 12,000. I'll take that every day of the week. That's perfect. Uh, single double right there. Right. Okay. So a wholesaler, that's the end of their line. They wholesale the deal. They make 10 to 12,000. I owner finance a deal. I get 10 to 12,000 down. They still owe me $180,000 in positive cash flow over the next 30 years. So every time you wholesale a house that could have been seller finance, you've left 180,000 potential dollars in the future out of your equation. So when I tell people I'm a multi, 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 multi millionaire, just imagine hundreds of houses a year. And every time I do it, they owe me about 180 to 100 to $200,000 still. So every five deals is another million dollars that I'm owed, you know, more or less. And every five deals I'm picking up 50 to 60,000 in down payments that I live off of. And I'm not a landlord. I don't, if the air conditioner breaks, it's not my air conditioner. I sold the house on payments. So it's been a great industry for me. I mean, I, it's just the, the difference. If you're a wholesaler, the key that you have to, to turn this corner, you have to find private money. I have $24 million worth of private money that I have built up over 24 years. Okay. So I don't, have to beg for this money. I just pick up the phone and it's in my bank account within hours. Um, and it's, it's money that's tailored towards my strategy. So here's a perfect example. I'll borrow, let's say I can get all in a house and I'm just using some numbers. I know the numbers too. So don't get, don't trip over the values here. But um, I'm, I say I can get in a house for 50,000. I always borrow 52,000. I always borrow 2,000 more than I need to get in the house. Why is that? Because finding houses isn't free. It costs about $2,000. I don't even know, maybe some more, some less. I just picked this number, about 2,000 bucks to find this house. So I'm doing 100 houses a year. If I leave $2,000 in 100 houses a year, that's um, $200,000, right? 
that I've just left laying around. I didn't recoup it. And if I do it five years in a row, that's a million bucks. I don't have a million bucks to leave laying around. Do you? I don't. So I always borrow the extra $2,000. I never borrow over 65% of what I can sell or finance the house for. And so in this case, I'm borrowing 52. I'll turn around and I'll own or finance this house for a hundred to 110,000. Let's say 110,000 with 12,000 down. And I'll carry 98,000 at 10% for 30 years. No balloon, no need to refinance, no call, just 30 years fixed for at 10%. Um, so they owe me about 850 and I owe my lender, I'm borrowing this 52,000 at 8%. So I owe 350. They owe me 850. So I'm collecting 850. I pay my 350. I keep the 500 in the middle. If you have a 360 month, 30 year note, and you're owed 500 positive every month, that's $180,000 that you're owed in the future. Now the note's probably not going to go um, 30 years, but on the day we ink that agreement, I'm owed $180,000 in positive cash flow. Um, and I picked up $12,000 in down payment to make that happen. Plus I recouped 2000. So I have 14,000 in my pocket and I'm making 500 a month. You do that eight times. I do that eight times a month. So I don't know what's eight times 14,000. 10 times 14,000 is 140. So 114,000, something like that. No, 112,000. No, it's Amazing. like 134,000. Wow. And then- You got me doing public math now, Mitch. I got to do public math well, on the let's just, let's, No, let's just really figure it out. I, 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 <laughs> I left my phone upstairs so I don't have my phone. But this is living proof. Yeah. You don't have to be a mathematical genius to make a, like, make a lot of money in this. But I, I, I failed math. I, I really struggled at math until, until math became um, something I could deposit in my bank account. And then I kind of got better at it. But I still-, I still function highly off a $2 calculator that I bought at the dollar store, which is the most confusing thing about the conversation. I went, you know, why the hell's a calculator cost $2 at the dollar store? But anyways, uh, you know, I hold it up to the sun, I get it charged up in, in $14,000 times eight deals. Tell me what it is. Okay. I'm going to do it right here. I got my calculator 14,000 times eight. 112,000. I told oh, yeah. you. You're, you were right. You're right. I'm, I was a bad <laughs> I should have, I ne never mess with a fighter jet pilot guy with calculations. Um, so 112,000 is what I picked up for the month. You know, my partner and I can eat pretty good off that. I guess it's, you know, a little over $50,000 a piece. Um, I think I, I think, I think I can live off that. And then we created, um, eight times 500, which is 4,000 a month positive cash flow. And month after month after month. So I have like three, 400 houses that, I, that are owing me more or less $500 a month every month. Office overheads like 28,000. So um, you know what you don't get is you don't get depreciation and you don't get appreciation because I'm selling these houses. Um, so there's one other step, you know, you use quick flips and wholesales and retails 
and temporary cash flow, which is the note, because a note is temporary because it's not going to last forever. It has an expiration date. Most notes in the United States last seven and a half to eight years. Every, even a 30-year note will only last about seven and a half, eight years. So it might be a little higher now, but let's just say they last 10 years, especially dealing in the economic areas that I deal in. Maybe the notes last 10 years. So you have to take the wealth that you make from the one-time cash strategies, the flips and the retails and the wholesales, and the temporary cash strategies, the seller financing, and you have to buy into a forever strategy, which I bought my forever strategy. You know, it's obviously something you rent because rent will go on until you say it doesn't. Um, and I chose boat and mini storages, you know, because it was the easiest thing to rent. It was the easiest thing to evict people out of. And it was the easiest thing to give a rate increase on. Like, you know, if you have 1600 doors around a lake where you live and you just start at the beginning of the list and you start raising everybody $4. And by the time you get all the way around to the end of the 1600, you just start over again, $4. Well, every time you raise, um, What's 1,600 times four? Every All right, now you're, now you're really doing it. Uh, 6, yeah. 12, 24. Uh, Get your phone out. 1,600 60, times four. 64, 6,400? Yeah, so every time I make it around that horn at $4 a month. I got it. Increase, I, I've increased $6,400 a year. And, you know, there's times you can raise the rent five or six, like when it's 107 in Texas in July. I'll raise the rent six or seven dollars because no one's going to move out over five dollars in 107 degrees. But that's a month, right? That's a yeah. month. Yeah. So 6,400 a month. That's a uh, what? 64. Uh, that I mean that that's like eighty thousand dollars a year. Yeah. Right. Because I made it all the way around and, and increased yeah. everybody's rent four bucks while it was 107 degrees outside. Yep. yep. So, so let's 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 go back a little bit. I, I think I want to give some context to. I mean, you just laid out a kind of a drop the bomb on most wholesalers, right? So the, the whole concept basically is you've got this wholesale property that comes in. Instead of turning around and selling that contract to a flipper or a landlord or an Airbnb person or a developer or whatever, whoever you're selling it to, your buyer's list, you, you make a different buyer's list, right? Like I'm making a owner finance buyer's list. So what, I, what, what you're doing is you're taking that, that contract, that deal, you're raising private money, you're actually purchasing it. And then you're turning around and selling it on owner financing. So um, I want to ask some questions that's probably going on in some of these people's heads is number one, like what kind of houses is this? What, what's your target for a house? Is it, can it be really nasty and beat up like some of the Walmart stuff houses for Walmart people, just Walmart houses, regular, regular houses for regular people, just, just run of the mill, you know, neighborhoods, not not the bottom of the barrel, not the not the war zones, not the where there's a ton of violence, but there's more violence in my neighborhoods. But they they have pride. There's there's pockets, but there's a you know there's a crack house on every other block. You know maybe maybe um, I say crack house, an abandoned house that needs me to go buy it and fix it up. That's what I do. Um, but there's lots of houses that and lots of pride. I'm, I'm trying to deal in houses under 250,000. So in some, some parts of the country, that is a war zone. Mm -hmm. uh, other parts of the country, mostly the flyover states, there's a, plenty of houses like this. You know, so, and, 
And what's the median home price in your area? Maybe that'll give some context. Is that about median home price? About 300. Okay, so a little bit below the median home price. So if wherever you are, if you're listening to this, it's probably something just slightly under that. Like in Pensacola, our median home price is, I think, somewhere around 160, 170. And these would be houses around, you know, 100 to 150, even maybe even down at 60, 70,000. The cheaper the house, the better the ROI and the easier it is to own or finance. The, the, the idea is to take the rents out there for that neighborhood and to back into the rent to find a price that you'll sell your house. I don't use appraisals or CMAs or brokers professional opinions. I'm not interested in that at all. Those people all had to have good credit to get those loans. My people don't have good credit. They have issues. They're, they're inherently broken somewhere and probably forever. Um, not that they're bad people, they just are bad managers of such things, you know, that, that would hurt your credit. Um, so okay, so we've, we've got this house, we've got this house, those are the kind of houses you're looking for, blue, blue collar neighborhoods, Walmart houses for Walmart people, like you said, and then are you actually, so after you purchase it, are you actually fixing the houses up, or is there a certain level of like renovation that you're looking for in that house, if, it's, if it needs like a full gut job renovation, is that something that you would consider buying or is it more just like a little bit of work that's needed for this house? Like where's that limit on repairs? Well, like in my world, I have, I have 15 houses for sale right now. So my crew can do about four houses at a time. My crew that works for me and only me and, and they can do about four houses at a time. So they're working on those four. The other, the other 11 are up for sale as is, where is, until I get to them. So you do the numbers here. You could, you could buy a house for 40 and put 20 into it. Now I got to sell it for 120, owner finance. I mean, that's my goal. I don't always get double, but that's my goal. Or I could buy it for 40 and, and owner finance it for 80 and let someone else do it. I doubled my money either way. But when I, when I buy a house and do not fix it and sell or finance it and watch the person who's making me a monthly payment go over budget fixing up my collateral to the tune of fifteen dollars or $20,000, what a day that is. It takes no time. I took all the risk out of the situation. I took all the time out of it. I bought it for 40 at 8 in the morning. It's for sale at 2 in the afternoon. And it's sold within nine days. My average marketing my average owner finance house has been sold in an average of nine days. This is pre-COVID numbers. I have to go back and look at uh, what COVID did to me, but it hasn't slowed down much. I have 15 houses under contract to sell right now. And this all happened during COVID. So COVID didn't stop this. COVID, one of the unique things about COVID, the pandemic was, um, you know, in a recession, blue collar workers were the first to hit the skids because Bank stopped, lending, construction stopped, you know, everything stopped. Well, they're essential businesses in the pandemic. I'm said those 15 houses I have under contract are two plumbers, electricians, roofers, rehabbers, concrete guys. That's who are buying them because they're, they're cash flush right now. They, they're, they're buried in work. So you back into the rents, you use the rents to establish the OFB. Probably the only thing I've ever invented in my life. I invented the moniker, the OFB, the owner finance value. Um, I had never heard it before. Um, so if you invented it, just let's just share it. Okay. I don't care. Uh, either way. So you take the rent, let's say the rent's a thousand subtract the monthly taxes, property taxes and insurance. Let's say that's one fifty. 
you know, $100, $100 for taxes and $50 for insurance. Don't split hairs with me here. Just follow the theory. That leaves $850 this renter has for principal interests, okay? Because out of his $1,000 rent, $150 has to go to these two entities, insurance and property taxes. So $850 is what he has for principal interests. So I just multiply that times 115, which is because that's easier than finding a four variable calcu you know, uh, calculator program. I multiply it by 115. The 115 represents 30 years, 10%. Payment, 850. It's gonna solve for the balance. If you multiply 850 times 115, not point anything, it's times 115, comes out to be $79,750, right? Which is- I got 97,750. I like your number better. 90, yeah, 97,750. 97, which in my world is 98,000. I always mm -hmm. round off and I always round off in my favor. So 98,000 is what this man can afford to borrow 30 years at 10% and have a payment of 850 plus or minus a few dollars. So if, 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 if $98,000 is what he can borrow, then what's the price of the house? I add 12% on top and that number is going to look a lot like 110,000. So in my example, I'm right on, you know, 110,000 minus 12,000 down. Cause I always, I, I my minimum is 10% down, but I never shoot for minimum. So I added 12% for a down payment. You know what I mean? I try to always do better than minimum at least, you know? So I got 12%, 12,000 down. So 110 minus 12,000 is 98,000 at 10% for 30 years. If you get on your calculator, it's going to be right around, you know, what I, right around 850 a month. And if you do 52,000 at interest only at 8%, you're around 350. So, I mean, this, this, these numbers are, are I'm, not, I'm not rounding them off. I mean, I'm not getting them to the penny, but just follow the theory here. So I get paid, you know, in this scenario, $12,000 to create a $500 positive cash flow of which I am not a landlord. So the, the problem with being a landlord is you get the rent, you don't know if you can spend it. You don't know if you can spend it or not because if the air conditioner breaks three days after you hammered the check for the rent, then, then you're going to have to give that money to the air conditioner man. And apparently it was the air conditioner man's money. And when I was a landlord, I did a hell of a job collecting money for the air conditioner man and the electrician and the plumber and all that. I was collecting the hell out of that money for those guys. Boy, they loved me. I just get all, I'd, I'd bust my butt. I'd collect all that money and then I just hand it all out to everybody. Uh, and, and it wasn't much left over for me. Now, now as the owner financier, by the way, when you, when you're a landlord, Bill, when's the last time you got $15,000 in a non-refundable uh, landlord deposit on a rent house or 25,000 or 30,000? Has anyone ever walked up and given you $50,000 as a deposit non-refundable on a three bedroom, two bath, little 1200 square foot rent house? Hell no, they never have. I've had $50,000 down payments. It, you know, I, I got better chance than the landlord ever had to, to make a big down payment. If someone tears up my house and, and leaves and I'm a landlord and I've collected, you know, $1,500 first month rent and $1,500 deposit equal to the rent. So I've collected $3,000. They tear up my house. I can't put the, I can't fix the carpet for the $3,000. And that's the first thing to go. 
uh, if you collect $15,000, hell, you can fix a house. You can have some money left over, you know? Uh, but people who own houses don't tend to tear them up. People that rent houses tend to tear them up and leave. People that own houses tend to fix them up and stay. It, and it makes common sense, right? I mean, I really don't have to get any statistics out on this. The carrots are all in the right place for this to happen. Yeah, so I, I like that. You got the owner finance value and then you've got a $110,000 purchase. So I'm assuming that you're basing your offer. You're going to then back out your offer based on that. And so you're targeting the purchase price of that house. You could probably pay more than a wholesaler and a flipper when they come in because of things like this, I would suspect. When you're going head to head and offering this way, there's a potential that you can actually beat us out because we, I probably need to wholesale that house at 55,000. So I got to buy it at 40 or 45 to make my spread. And I got to turn around and figure out how to sell it to a landlord where the landlord's going to want the equity and you're able to even bump up that price even more because you're selling it this way, as opposed to looking at it from a retail value. Is that typically right? You can go in and, and crush I those. Sell, I, can, I can sell over the market, but I, I, you know, my deal is if a wholesaler can find houses at those prices, I can find houses at those prices. So I just set up my team to find those houses. I don't buy many houses from wholesalers because they're generally taking too much out of the middle. And I've just found it profitable to learn how to do what they do. And I have a whole office dedicated to finding houses. I mean, I have four people that that's all they do every day, all day long. Um, but what's neat about this thing is it's recession. If there's such thing as a recession proof business, this might be one of them. I've lived through two recessions and now looks like I'm going to survive a pandemic. Um, well, I think the reason I wanted to bring you on here and, and talk about this is because the wholesaler, it, like finding the, these kind of properties, like we have these things coming to us on a conveyor belt typically, and we're turning around, like you said, and we're making, you know, 5,000, 10,000, 15, even $20,000 off of them. So there's an opportunity there to learn something and learn another exit strategy and another way to do this. So uh, like, what does the infrastructure look like? So that's probably, it's well, like, now, go ahead. Let's talk about this. I, I'm collecting at least 300 house payments a month right now. So multiply 300 times $500. It's $150,000 a month. How's that compare to your wholesale business? Because I made, I, I made as much money every house as you did. And then I still have 150,000 a month coming in a month. Yeah. Not I absolutely love that because so now the, the other thing is, it's, so not I, gonna, it's, I, it's not going to last forever. You hear me? It's not going to last yeah. forever. It's a note. And at some point they're going to pay me off probably between now and 10 years. They're going to call for a payoff because they're going to want to move and they're going to sell the house to someone who gets a new loan. They are not going to refinance. One out of a hundred will refinance because if they, if they were refinanceable material, they wouldn't have bought a house from me at 10% for 30 years in the first place. That part of their life is broken. They don't know how to keep a credit score right. Yeah, but then you've got the equity that you've created into that house, go into your bank account and turn around and do something else with it. So it's definitely like the, it's, it's, it's a fantastic active strategy. Obviously that you talked about the tax, you don't get the depreciation and the appreciation and things, but you're, you're forcing appreciation just like we are by, by that, you know, doubling that note. So if it's a, if you bought it for 55 and it's worth 110 and the face value of that note is 110, the payoff is there. So you're, you're collecting all of that money and you can go do it again. The reason why I do 30-year notes is because after five or six or seven years, they haven't paid me but about three or 4000 off the balance. So when they call for the payoff, it's damn near what they financed. Mm -hmm. And then I get another huge payday on just one house. So if I'm making 
you know, my partner and I are making like $112,000 a month in down payments and two people call to pay off. That's another hundred grand. Yeah. And then I'm still owed $150,000 a month in positive cash flow, and it costs my office, it costs me $28,000 a month to run my office, commissions and everything. So I'm netting $120,000. So I don't know how, don't, the, what, what the icing on the cake is this, is, it's, it, is you do good in the good times, but you boom in a recession, you boom in a pandemic. You boom when there's the biggest chaos, when everyone else is going broke, you boom. What a great business. You do okay in the good times or you do good in the good times and you boom in the bad times. When do you go broke? I never have to guess the economy. I don't have to. I prepare. I've been preparing like hell for the next downturn because the last downturn I was buying a house a day, but I got scared after 45 days because I didn't have a selling side. I was the selling side and the buying side. So I looked up one day and I had, um, I had, 50 vacancies because I had a 150 houses and 150 of them quit making their payments. I mean, I'm sorry, 50 of them quit making their payments. And then I went and bought another 45 houses, one a day. So when you're buying a house a day, it's hard to sell anything if you're the guy that's the, the buyer and the seller. So, so I looked up one day, I had 95 houses that were vacant and thought I better stop because I got to load these houses now with people, but it's not going to happen next time. Uh, I've been preparing in private money while, so I have the depth to do it. I've been preparing in the system, so I have a buy side. There's people that buy my houses, and there's a separate set of people that sell my houses, and 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 they can run. They run independently, and so here's 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 the theory. We have to agree on two things, at least. One is, you saw how I arrived at my owner finance value through the rents with that formula and the rents, right? Yep. Okay, answer these questions. You don't, don't overthink them. Number one, um, when a recession hits, do banks close? I mean, do they, the, the banks tighten up on loaning money, almost don't loan money at all, or do they loan money like crazy during a recession? They pull back. They pull back. They, in 2008, they damn near, they all but closed. I mean, you couldn't get a loan. I had my partner had an 880 credit score or whatever the hell. And they just kept asking him for another piece of paper. They didn't want to say he was a perfect risk. They just didn't want to give him a loan. Finally, they had to, but he had an 880 credit score. Um, so when people, uh, and then the other thing we need to agree on is people that are paying X for rent, would most of them would rather pay X to be the owner. If it's the same X, if it's the same amount every month, most renters will say, hell yeah, I don't want to be a renter for X a month. I'd rather be the owner for X a month, you know? So, so can we agree on that? Yep, absolutely. Okay, so here's what happens. We hit in a recession. What happens to the price of houses when banks stop loaning money in a recession? What happens to the prices of houses? They go down. Because mm -hmm. there's no availability of funds to borrow. They quit loaning money on, on everything. When people, uh, when people can't buy houses because the banks are closed, because most people don't have cash, they have to borrow the money to buy a house. When people can't buy houses, what do they, where do they live? What kind of house do they live in? They live in a rent house. When there's a lot of pressures put on, on rents, what happens to rents? 
When there's a lot of pressure on rents, rents go up. And when no one can buy, then everyone's a renter, then there's pressure on rents and rents go up. Rents go up during a recession. So rental houses and seller financed houses are a good play during a recession. What, but here's the kicker. What is my owner finance sales price based on? It's based on the rents. So in the middle of the recession, I have the owner, I have the only in, in appreciating sales price in the nation because I'm offering seller financing equal to whatever the rents are. The rents are going up in the recession. I'm using my formula to establish my price. So I have the only house for sale whose price is appreciating in the middle of a recession. And I, to top it off, I'm buying it at the low of the low because sellers can't sell because banks aren't loaning money to buyers. Here's why it's, this business is so great. If you have private money, and I wanna talk about private money before we go. I didn't need any banks to buy these houses. I had private lenders. They were loaning me the money. They were not even flinching. They were running out of the stock market. They were cashing out of the stock market because what happens in a recession to stock prices usually? They're usually the stock market goes to hell in a handbasket. So they're all trying to get out and they want some place to do. So they're handing it to me. I have more than enough money to buy these houses. I don't need a bank. And then my buyer didn't need a bank to buy the house from me. So in the recession, I'm the only guy open on both ends. I'm buying houses like a madman at the lowest prices I've seen in 15 years. And then I'm selling them for more than I have ever sold them for before. And get this, I was buying houses for $27,000. I used to buy that same house for 55, but then the recession hit. So now it's cut in half. You know, it's, it's down to $27,000. But now I'm selling it for 59 because the rents are going up. I'm selling a, over 100% of the acquisition price. I'm selling the market price because if you went into those neighborhoods, the reason why those houses were selling for from 55 down to 27 was because they were 90% cash sales because banks weren't loaning and only the wealthy guys were coming in like sharks now and buying these houses. And, and I'd buy a house for 27 and the next day I'd have it up for sale for $59,000. And the, the, they'd come in and the, the, the realtor would go, man, there's no way this house is worth 59. Every, there's, there's 20 comps within three blocks of here and they're all say that this house is only worth $27,000. And I would say to them, you have your opinion and I have mine. Please move along. There's another person outside that wants to come in. That guy comes in and he says, man, they raised my rent to $1,200 across the street from, from 1,000 and you're offering this house for $1,100 a month. Can I buy your house? I say, sure. You just need a decent down payment since you don't have really good credit. Do you have 12 or 15,000 down? They say, I can come up with it. I say, okay, well, I'll sell you the house. So I would prove the realtor wrong in a matter of days. I'm, you know, I was doing this renter a favor because in 30 years from now, I wonder what the rents on that house will be. His, his payment's gonna go to zero. I wonder what his payment will be in 15 years. Mine is a fixed 30-year note. There's no incremental increases. Rents, you know, are going to go up every five years. There's going to be a substantial difference in rents, typically, right? Well, this payment stays the same. And they get the appreciation. In 30 years, what will that house be worth? What will this man's rent house be? What will he get from a rent house if he's renting? So it's a perfect scenario. I love it. But here's the key. Go, go to 1000houses.com. Check out private money changes everything. For a thousand bucks, I'm gonna show you how 
I raised $24,000 and specifically how to get people to ask me if they can loan me money. That's my goal every time. I don't ask people to loan me money. I tell people what I do. The light bulb goes off and goes, hey, can I be one of those guys that makes that 8, 10% money? They ask me. There's seven steps to do it. And every step begs this person in front of you to ask the next question that you want them to ask. I, I, I have a way, a very special way, I like to call it NLP, right? I say things that make them react a certain way that get us into the room of the conversation I want to have so they can see what I want to show them, but it's going to be all their idea. I make them six times ask me the question I want them to ask me. And it's very easy. It takes, yeah. you, have to, you have to put up the numbers. I just had a guy call me yesterday. Mitch, I did your presentation to an attorney yesterday like you told me to. He said and did exactly what you said he would do. Exactly. And I closed and, and he's loaning me money today. I said, okay, good. Yeah, we talk a lot about raising money. And I think it's interesting timing too, because now's a time, at least for my company, is we're not necessarily buying a bunch of uh, houses anymore right now. Like we've had this transition. So we have a lot of money, like other people's private money in the bank. This is a perfect strategy to put it. And you're putting people's money to work for long periods of time, potentially. So it's an interesting conversation to have with them where they have IRAs, 401ks, um, self-directed accounts, things like that. It's a perfect avenue to put them in. I have a lot of people that want to lend to me for very long periods of time. And so it's a little bit different money than what you're specifically talking about when we teach a lot on the wholesaling and flipping side where people want their money there for like six months or 12 months, like more of a hard money lender. You're having a conversation where, hey, this is, I, there's a lot of people out there, you show them IRAs, 401ks, different kinds of lending where they're seeing monthly payments on a regular basis. I'm assuming you're paying your lenders monthly. So they're seeing that income come in. Yes, because I don't want there to be any anxiety for them. You know, the, the anxiety is just from the first to the first to the first. You know, if I didn't pay them for five years and the interest accrued, it'd be a huge amount of anxiety for a long time. Is this guy really going to pay me? You know? Yep. Um, so and, and use taxfreefuture.com to, if, if you have people that need to self-direct their IRAs, I strongly suggest taxfreefuture.com because it talks to, there's all these videos on what they can do once they roll their money into a self-directed account. And a large part of that is how to be passive and loan your money to people like us, where you get a real piece of collateral. You either get paid as agreed, or you get a piece of collateral that's even better than that agreement. So, um, you know, that's one of the reasons, you know, I started taxfreefuture.com is because I was helping so many people convert from the traditional IRAs and everything where the yahoos in wall street were in control of their money. I was helping so many people convert to self-directed IRAs with checkbook control that I just, I decided I needed to get more involved in that business because I was converting a lot of people and I was having to educate those people all the time on what they could do. Everybody one off. So I said, I, I can't do one-off anymore. I'm going to make the videos and explain it all one time. And then they can just watch the videos and I don't have to do it anymore. Every time I, every time I talk to a person. So, so I, um, you know, I want to it, jumping into that a little bit. It's interesting because I've watched this, like I read your book and it, this was years ago. It was probably four or five years ago as I was just kind of getting into the wholesaling business. And I've, I've got an interesting story about one I did using your exact strategy. And I think it'll help the listeners to see what's possible here. But we, um, 
you know, and I saw you setting up like a tech service and a, 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 a note servicing company and all of these different avenues. So the reason I'm mentioning this for everybody out there is once you start becoming successful in a business in a certain way, you start seeing these law of scales, these other things that can come in to build residual income in different ways. So you were using it, a lot of this stuff yourself. Uh, and if I remember the story right, I think it was your daughter who was servicing the notes or something. Mm -hmm. And you guys built a company around that. And so, and I don't know if you still do that. I mean, this was years yeah. ago that I remember the story. So, but you can see that all of this stuff is just complementary to what you're doing. And I've seen so many other people. Andy McFarlane is, is very big and, and he was my mentor in, 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 our, um, in our group, in our, our following. And you saw him, he was doing pay-per-click ads and decided to create a, a service for that because they, they, were, they were running them, they were doing them, and they were able to do them for other investors. So uh, I've seen you do it. So it's interesting to, to hear all that stuff well, that you're doing on top of it. What happens is, is, let's just use a real simple example. Let's say you're, 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 you own a sawmill and that's your business. And so people bring you these trees and you run them through the mill and you turn trees into boards. Well, what you're left over with is a bunch of sawdust. Now you got to pay to take this sawdust away or you can figure out what you're going to make out of sawdust because you got this free sawdust here. Are you going to poison it and use it for, put it in bags and use it for ant repellent that you can sprinkle around your house? Are you going to glue it together and make it into other forms of board? Are you going to, what are you going to do with it? You know, I mean, but figure out something to do with it because it's stacking up in your backyard over the top of your house. You know what I mean? So, and it's going to be an expense if you don't turn it into a profit. So when I'm keeping these books, you know, I'm keeping these notes. I had to, you know, go buy a $25,000 set of software to make my life easy and to handle the number of notes I want. And then once I had that software, I thought, how do I get this software to pay for itself? I said, well, man, if I pick up a thousand, a thousand notes to service from some other people, which with, with, with this software is piece of cake. You know what I mean? The software made it a piece of cake for me, but I wanted to get my money back. So now, you know, I'm collecting uh, 35,000, I mean, $35 a note on a thousand notes. That's $35,000 a year, right? I think I paid for the software. Yep, for sure. And it, it just makes sense. Like, and as you, as you guys are becoming more successful, you're growing your businesses, you start seeing other opportunities. I think the interesting thing from an entrepreneur and the way that my mind works is a lot of times I just have to be careful about all the things that I want to try to do. So um, really kind of focus on that thing that you can see that you love, that you're excited about that's probably going to make you the most money because we can get really distracted, right? Right. So the, the hardest thing, this is, this is a Mitch Steven original. The hardest thing an entrepreneur will ever do is find one good idea and finish, you know, finish strong. Um, because we see opportunity in everything. I started text, you know, uh, livecom, L-I-V-E-C-O-M-M.com is a mass texting platform because I was having a major problem and I, and I looked out there and nobody was really solving it. And the people, the one company that was maybe solving it, but not exactly how I wanted to do it was charging way too much. I wasn't going to pay that price. And so I went and I partnered up with a software company who would build it for free and then we would promote it. So a lot of times when I start these businesses, like the hard money loan business that I have, the hard money loan business was because I had so much money and I couldn't find deals that still fit my underwriting to spend all the money. I mean, just because you have a lot of money doesn't mean you go out and start buying crappy ass deals. You know what I mean? You got to keep the same underwriting that kept you successful. And so I, I wasn't able to find more than a hundred houses a year at, at my underwriting guidelines. So I, 
I needed to, but I still wanted to get those people's money out and working or they were going to go place it with someone else or maybe even lose it. So I started a hard money company with a guy who was 15 years managing partner for Cooper's library, which is now water price, waterhouse Cooper's over in Austin. He's a CPA, magnificent, brilliant guy. And, and I took on a partner in that side. So I didn't have to divide myself up again. I had a partner and I'm the one that keeps him flush with money and he's the one that makes the loans. So all these businesses, I have like eight or nine businesses now. Sometimes I can't even name them in a row. I have to write them down. But um, yeah, stay, the, the biggest thing is what you said though. You got to master one thing before you move on to the next. If you haven't mastered the one thing, don't chase another shiny object. Stay with what you're at. And then once you can handle that thing and you have it systematized where it doesn't even really need you anymore, then you can take on something else. But let me tell you this, every, every business you start will take everything you have in the beginning. It's my humble opinion. Yeah, I think you're dead on. And it's interesting that you say that right, right now, because as we're talking, I'm going, man, like, this is exciting. I want to do this again. This is, this is why didn't I jump in and, and completely do it? I remember when I was, I, I read your book, I got involved in this when I was doing all these other things. Right. And I did, I did three or four of these. So I have, and I still have a couple and I'll tell the story in a second about the, the one that stands out to me big time. It's a fantastic deal. But you know, I, um, that's, that was my problem. I was focused, like I was, wasn't focused on one thing. And so I did a little bit of it. It worked great. And then I was doing this other thing and this other thing. And for all of you guys that are listening, like the reason that I brought Mitch on here is because if you're wholesaling houses right now, and especially in this time, like you just talked about pandemic, we've got a potential recession coming up. Who knows what's going to happen, right? With all the foreclosures and mortgages and, and all of, all of the cycle. And as things cycle and change, we have to be able to adapt and adjust. And this may be a way that you guys pivot on what you're doing or add it to your arsenal, right? Because there is, a, there's a, so for me, my story goes, I was doing this, I was doing that, I was doing five other things. And so sure enough, I'm, my focus was, okay, I'm going to be a wholesaler and flipper. And I built a very successful business around it. And now that we're systemized and, and, and operational and everything's going really well, um, I'm going to direct my COO, Nate Johnson, to listen to this podcast and say, hey, is this something that we can add to our arsenal and we can teach the team? Because it's, it's definitely a way for us to not, if you're out there canceling contracts or you're like, can you look at things through a different lens? Can you analyze a property a little bit differently? When Airbnb came into the uh, area, uh, land development, that kind of stuff, it changed the way that we could sell and market some of our properties. This is another way that you can make an adjustment or change. So my story goes, we, we found a house and, and we, were, we had it under contract for $13,000. It was in Pace, Florida. Pace is a fantastic school system. It was, the house needed work. And so uh, we, I could have wholesaled it and probably made like twenty dollars or $30,000 on the wholesale. It was a really good wholesale deal. Um, I could fix it up and sell it and probably make forty dollars or $50,000 uh, on fixing it up and selling it. But what I decided to do was just leave it as is. I bought it for $13,000 and then I turned around and I sold it on owner financing using Mitch's. I actually used like everything that you taught, right? I used Livecom. I set up signs. Uh, they, were, they were calling in or texting in. Like, I, I basically just said, okay, I'm going to hack this guy's entire system. It's exactly what I do, right? So I use your system. I use Livecom. I set it all up and we put signs. And this is what I did for like four or five deals around the same time. And then there were some where I was like, hey, this is, a, this is the next strategy I'm going to use. I actually brought in, Andy McFarlane actually owns a house in Pensacola that we work together. I got an assignment fee. He brought it, came in and bought it in his IRA. And he still gets his payment every month. And every month he like, 
he just sent me a picture of the Google Street View the other day. He's like, man, this guy's fixing up my house really nice. Or his house, but his note, right? He's fixing he, up he's, my collateral. He's fixing up his collateral, yeah. Exactly. And he, he loved it. So I bought the house for 13000 I turned around and I, I marketed it. Just I'm a marketer, right? I know how to market these properties. And I got a buyer to come in for 59000 and they put 6000 down. As I'm listening to Mitch, I'm like, man, I should have gotten more down payment, I think. But they put you know, 10% well, some, down. Some, sometimes when they have to do a lot of work, you know, I'll let them in with zero or I'll let them in with three or four. I mean, you got to leave them some money for the materials, yep. right? You know what I mean? So uh, sometimes people take every word I say and hang it on every situation. They say, no, it's, it's always, you know, yeah. $6,000 on a house down that needed that much work that you sold for 59000 that you bought for thirteen, what's wrong with that deal, man? Exactly, I mean, nothing. Leave it right? alone. So, yeah, don't. So don't we've worry got about it. we got uh, seven. So now I'm only out of pocket seven thousand dollars, and I'm getting a payment. I, I I don't remember what my payment is. It's somewhere around six six fifty something like that, seven hundred bucks a month. <laughs> and so I'm getting that every month, and and I haven't done anything to the house. They fixed up the house since then, and so they make their payment every month. I actually did a, I did a 15-year note at 10.5% interest, so I, I, they were able, I knew the rent. I could bump the rent up, so I did a shorter note for them, um, frankly, because I just kind of wanted to get out, and I, I didn't know what I was doing. So here, here's the kicker on this. So since then, I've, so I've way, that was like three years ago. My money has come back probably twice over. But if, if you do the math at 15 years and 10.5% interest, it's somewhere around $150,000. So let's say they just pay it through 15 years at $150,000. I put $13,000 in that house. I don't do a ton of work uh, doing it. In fact, I don't manage it. And the reason I don't manage it is because it's in my Roth IRA. So it, there's $13,000 that turns into $150,000 in a Roth IRA that's untaxable. And I don't actually do any of the work for it. So now you're talking about getting rich. Now you're talking about getting yes. rich. Your wholesaling, you would have made five or six or $8,000. And then you'd have to go do it again. This one, you set it, you forget it. And it's worth a hundred and whatever, $80,000 or whatever. So there you go. Just another that's case example. And here's the other thing. Let's just assume that you paid that $13,000 cash, right? Because it was from your IRA, right? Well, you know, but let's say, let's say you didn't buy it in your IRA. Say you were just mm -hmm. an individual and you paid 13,000 of your cash and then you got 6,000 back, but you still had, you know, you still had 7,000 in it, right? You could have pledged that note. You could have pledged that $59,000 note for a $25,000 loan from a private lender. He would have been less than a 40% LTV. It would have been a stellar deal. And then this guy's going and fixing up the house, making it worth even more than what he owes you, way more than what he owes you. And so this guy's going to end up having like an LTV of like 25% LTV. And you're going to get back not only the, the 7,000 that you're out, the 6,000 of the down payment, and then you're out seven. So you're going to borrow, instead of borrowing just the 7,000, you need to get made whole. You borrow 25,000 from a private guy. You get your 7,000 back and you got $18,000 more to go buy another house. And that's the power of private money. You, that's called hypothecating your note. You couldn't refinance the house because you didn't own it anymore. You sold it to that man on payments. You sold it to him. Keyword sold. You don't own it anymore. What you own is a note. So you pledge the note to a note buyer to give you $25,000 and you, pledge, you do a note assignment and you pledge your note and your first lien collateral rights. If you don't pay him, he gets to take your note and he gets to start receiving the payment directly from the guy in the house. And if that guy's not making the payment, then he gets to take the house. Yep.
So it gets kind of easy to raise private money. And that's an old trick how to raise private money. Let's say you have a $100,000 house. I'm just pulling numbers out of my butt here. You can pick it up for 50,000 bucks. Great deal. But there's this really wealthy guy that just won't pay you any attention. You went to him and said, hey, I need to borrow $50,000 on a first lien on a $100,000 house. And he still won't go have coffee with you. So why don't you just leave 20,000 of your own money in and now go back to him and just ask him for 30,000. If he says no to 30, just ask him for 25. Say at some point in time, you and me are gonna do business together because I got a $100,000 house I'm gonna pledge for some kind of loan you're gonna give me and we're gonna get to know each other. That's how you do it. And as soon as he says yes, and, you, and he makes that $25,000 loan in a, first, in a first lien position on that house, or uh, you, know, you pledge your note, you're going right down the street to the next wealthy guy and offer him $25,000 first. And when that guy says yes, you replace the old guy. Now this, now this, now this guy, that the first guy to do the $25,000 loan, it's always interesting on the first time that people loan you money, they don't really care that it only went four months before they, you paid them off. They, they don't care that it wasn't long-term. They're more interested to know that this man will get my whole entire money back to me. At least once, they like to see that, the first time. So it's a really good play. You just keep taking that $25,000 loan all the way around town till you've met everybody with money you want to. Yeah, that's, it's that rec the return of principle. That's what they're yeah, looking the for, right? When, that first one, they see the return of principle. Say, man, I'm sorry, man. I got, I got to pay this thing off. Some things are going on. But I got another one for you. But now they're loose. They've collected payments from yep. me for a time. They saw the paperwork. Their freaking principle came back. You're a good guy now. You know, and that's one of the tactics. It's private money changes everything. Go to 1000houses.com. If you, if, if all you did this next year, anybody listening, unless you've already got it hammered, if all you did next year was master the art of raising private money, it'll change your life forever. It doesn't really matter what business you're in. It doesn't matter what strategy you're in. If you can learn how to raise private money and I'll teach you how to raise it given our strategies, the owner finance strategy and the, in the, the flip strategy and the real estate strategies. That's what I specialize in, but raising private money, it'll change anybody's life. Imagine if you could buy anything you wanted to, if it was a good deal at the snap of a finger that changes your life. Now you get really excited about chasing deals because you know, you can fund them. You know, you're not even worried about that anymore. And how many people have such a big anxiety of even it's even stopping them from going and getting deals because they're really not sure how they're going to fund them. Yeah, I remember uh, at Flip Hacking Live, which is our, our live event, Mitch, that we do every year in October, to, the second year, I had grown my business from doing one deal a year to 67 deals a year, then to like 135 deals. And I had presented the first, the first year about building my team and what that looked like while I was, had a full-time job flying for the Navy. And then year two, um, I was get, having to figure out what I'm going to talk about. Like, what is my presentation going to be? And I always get people, it's like, how did you get to where you, you got so fast? Like, how did you grow like that? Because they see it, they, they don't see behind the scenes, like how much work you have to put in and all, everything, right? It's like just overnight success, right? So the second year I'm thinking like, what was it that allowed me to do that? And it was exactly what you just said. It was the ability to raise money. And so I gave a presentation on raising money. So I spent an hour talking about it because for me, when I look back, just like you said, I was able to buy the things that I may have potentially had to cancel as I was growing a wholesaling business and a buyer's list and things. I was able to buy it, fix it up. I was able to squeeze the juice out of everything that I got. And I think this, that's 
really important. And I was also would always walk in the house like I had a million dollars in my pocket. Like I was confident, right? And I'm confident in what I do. I'm able to say yes. I'm able to make a deal happen because I'm resourceful. They, and well, they pick, they pick it up off of you too. They sense it. There's, you know, there's this energy that's coming off of you. Well, I mean, when you're sure of something, there's a different energy than when you're not sure. And it just kind of permeates yeah. the air, you know? Uh, totally. but, but even wholesalers though, you say, well, people go, well, I don't really need money because I just wholesale. You need it worse than anybody. You're the one with a gun to your head. The time's running out. You're having to settle for people that you trust instead of someone who's offering you the most because you don't know the person offering you the most is going to close or not. So you're taking a lesser offer because you don't have time to mess around because you, your contract's expiring. We wholesale, when we were wholesaling a lot of houses, we only wholesale about 5% now because it doesn't make any, we only wholesale what we don't want. We don't want to be in that neighborhood. I don't want to be in that house. I don't want to deal with that neighbor. Wholesale the house. You know what I mean? Um, but when we were, we always took the house down with our own money so that we could slow down, calm down, maybe do a little bit of the pennies that it took to change the price a lot. And, and, and then we take, start high, work our way down, and we'd, we'd maximize what we got for the house because we didn't have a gun to our head. We didn't have a, clicking, a, a ticking clock uh, contract about to expire and have everyone mad at us. So using private money, um, we used to use that though in my younger days, just to give everyone a tip. I don't know if it works today with the price of houses, but in, in my younger days, we could buy houses for 15 and $20,000 in San Antonio. And so we would just put them on credit cards. We just bought houses on credit cards all the time. We'd go in the bank and I had 10,000 cash advance on this card and 10,000 cash advance on that card and 5,000 on this card. We'd go buy the house and then we'd slow down and it'd be 0% interest for six months or something. And then we'd flip the wholesale it and then we'd go pay the credit cards back and we'd keep the difference. I've done a lot of that on uh, re rehabs when I was getting started. So well, as every, getting everyone started, should I use, everyone should <laughs> use that, you know, um, learn about that at 1000houses.com forward slash grow. I mean, you want to get to where you can do your rehabs. If you think about all the rehabs you've done in your life, what, what, how much money would it be worth if you got them all for 0% interest and you didn't have to use your own money? It'd probably be worth a lot of money, even in your shorter career. You know what I mean? Yeah. I also love the fact that when, when I use these credit cards for that stuff, I'm getting 2% cash back on it all. So last year I got like $70,000 check for the credit card uh, tax-free. So really amazing uh, yeah, stuff. I, I use mine for air miles. I have over a million dollars worth of air miles. You know, they're not doing me good right now in COVID, but I fly anywhere in the United States and Mexico. I don't pay for anything. If I want to go, I just go because I got, I got air miles like crazy. So. Well, I think, I think we gave them uh, an incredible strategy to take and use and decide if they want to implement it. And um, I'm, I'm really excited for some of the, I, I'm sure that we got the, the wheels turning in a lot of people's heads, uh, wholesalers, flippers, anybody that's in our world, other real estate investors that listen to the podcast. Um, because even for me, like this is, this conversation is, is making me revisit the, the idea of, Hey, I, I know that things are going to change coming up for us. I'm just not sure how, like, what do we need to do? This is a perfect exit strategy for us. And obviously going back to the numbers, I always think about that house. It's, a, um, it's, it's nice to, to see that. It's just filling up the, filling up the IRA when, when I'm sleeping. So, and you know, you got, um, 
as far as we didn't dig into a lot of the other things, there's a whole a whole lot more that we could talk about, like finding the buyers, the um, the the tax implications and stuff like that. Like, go buy Mitch's book. Go to thousandhouses.com. Check out that stuff. If this is something that interests you, um, you can go follow him. Like I said, I I just bought a book. I read the book, and then I I think I listened to a couple of your early podcasts, and I was like, okay, I can go do this. Like, let's just figure it out. And I failed forward, and that's what I've always done. Is just let me go figure out how how it works. Um, and then every you know he can talk to you about other states and things like that. Some people are probably like, well, you know, the foreclosure laws in my state really aren't, aren't the best or how do I do this? Maybe I want to do it on land contract or five different ways that you're thinking about that could, this could happen. Um, and obviously we don't have hours and hours to talk, although I'm sure that we could. So look, I got so much free stuff. It's not even funny. Go to 1000houses.com. That's 1000houses.com. Click on the, um, owner financing webinar, uh, the webinar of owner financing 101 and there's a you know like an hour and 40 minutes i go through with a powerpoint explaining it all um i got three books there you can find my books you can listen to a tuesday night coaching call see how that goes there's i got people chastising me all the time the gurus out there saying you give everything away and i said look if if they need my help or want my help they know where to find me they'll find me and, and, and a certain amount of people understand you're either going to pay the street or you're going to pay someone to keep you from making the mistakes, but you're going to pay one way or the other. It's just when you have a mentor, it's a lot less anxiety and a lot less surprises and, and you stay between the lines and go down the road straighter than if you try to do it on your own. I, I'm the guy who did it on his own. And believe me, that street cost me more than any mentor would have ever And the stress of it was, would, would make a, but most people quit. I mean, I'm, I'm surprised I even made it. And I almost didn't make it. I got right up to the edge till I finally hired someone to get me out of my messes. And then when I, that's when I learned the power of it. But, you know, I like to tell everyone I graduated from La Calle U. That's the street in Spanish. 65% of my town is Hispanic. So uh, I graduated from La Calle U. It's the most expensive university in the world. It will take everything you have and spit on you. You know, um, it, it'll try to kill you. Um, you spend some money with a good mentor that a does what you do b hopefully it's probably in your region would be better c um is the kind of person that you want to be on and off the field pay attention to that on and off the field because they're going to collide before it's over with and if you don't like how this person is off the field don't 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 take lessons from them uh but anyways 1000houses.com you get a whole bunch of free stuff over there yeah. And you nailed it. I mean, you're somebody who's, uh, the street took a lot. You, you almost failed. You and I talked about that on, on your podcast. My story is that I, I did jump in and buy and, and pay for a mentor and I paid $25,000 the first year. And that's another reason why my growth was as exponential as it was. So, um, two people on here that are, you know, 100% all in for that. And I continue to pay mentors and coaches for myself on a regular basis. Me too, me too. And, uh, we have to. I mean, I, I, I'll invest six figures in my, uh, in my coaching this year. And that's six figures is going to get a ton. The return is massive. So well, there's, there's always another level. I mean, at one point, you know, it was the level was I paid $30,000 to go meet, you know, once a quarter for four quarters for one year. I didn't even make it to the fourth one because I was so overwhelmed with what I learned in the first three quarters. And I hadn't gotten it completed. So there was no sense in going to the fourth one because I hadn't finished what I knew I needed to do. But I, those, those are the guys that taught me how to automate my business so that I didn't have to be in it. 
so that I could do a podcast or I could focus on open and moat note servicing in Texas, or I could focus on running Texcom, you know, one at a time, I would take these challenges. And, um, is and today I'm learning how to, um, to combat my taxes. That's, that's what 2020 is. I'm going to pay people. I'm going to learn how to not pay so much in tax because making the money is half the equation. Keeping the money is the other fight. And so I learned that just in time, you know, like, wow, wow, I made a lot of money, but they took a lot of money. But uh, I wonder how you fix that, you know, go get another mentor. Yep, exactly. So uh, Mitch, thanks so much for sharing this stuff. I'm sure that you a got, lot of our people are going to reach out. Go you ahead. got someone over there going like this, tell him to shut up. It's over <laughs> no, minutes. I don't. I, I have my, my COO texting me saying, hey, our same page meeting started 10 minutes ago. Are you coming? Okay, I'll let and you like, go, I, man. I said, I'll, I'll get there. I'll get there. I said, I'm, I'm having a conversation that I think we might want to talk about anyway in about uh, five minutes. So um, I'll get, uh, I'll get we'll, we'll get to it when we can. So hey, look, I appreciate you coming on. Um, uh, thousandhouses.com, guys, is where you can find uh, Mitch. Like I said, his books, his podcast, stuff like that. Check him out. And it's really, uh, really obviously an honor to share the microphone with you again. I really enjoyed, uh, you know, spending time with you on your podcast and just uh, a really great guy, like all around good guy. And um, we have a lot of the same core values and the same kind of uh, um, personality in, in a lot of things. So I can definitely relate. And I wish, uh, you, know, you know, 20 years ago as you were getting going, uh, that's the same time I, I had decided to get going because I'd be in a different place now. But like we talked about on yours, our journey is so important. All the struggles and the wins that we have along the way is really important. So uh, I'm where I, I need to be right now for a reason. And I'm glad that I have the opportunity to bring you on and share this strategy with everybody because <clears throat> I think there's a lot of people out there, wholesalers, flippers, things like that, that will look at things differently hearing this. I know one of our our, one of the, uh, the board of directors of this company, uh, Jeremiah Johnson, he took what you did and he's got 40, 50, 60 notes or something in Wichita, Kansas right now. And just it's absolutely changed a lot of his business and the ability of what he can do. So those are a couple of testimonials for you guys that are out there. Myself, Andy McFarland, Jeremiah Johnson. So all uh, really good names in, in our world. So Mitch, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate spending time with you again. And I look forward one day to seeing you at that ranch in Texas. So I'm definitely taking you up on that if I can get out there. So. Yeah, say hi to Jeremiah for me. And uh, you're helping a lot of people, Bill. Keep it up because you have no idea the ripple effect. Um, you're, 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 by the time you're done, you'll have helped hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people. So thank you. I appreciate that, Mitch. And I'll just try to, I'll just try to catch up with you. So we'll get there one day. So, all right, Mitch, have a good day. Thanks Call so much. Call me when you're 59. <laughs> I don't, I, yeah, I will because I'll, I'll be, uh, I'll be taking that, uh, that IRA money and, and having fun traveling the world. So you better be, you better be ahead of me when you're 59. I hope you are. Bye. All right, Mitch. See you later. Okay. If you guys are anything like me, I'm sure you're ready to just go out and start seller financing hundreds and hundreds of houses. So a couple of years ago, I actually did that. I actually went out and did three or four of these deals. I talked about it a little bit about one of the deals I did that I bought for 17,000, Andy McFarland, Jeremiah Johnson has done a bunch in Wichita, Kansas. So this is a phenomenal exit strategy to bolt onto the vehicle that you already have rolling. And we also talked a ton on this podcast about raising money. Like his ability to do that many deals was because he could raise capital. And I know this is something that we've been jumping into. The last podcast that you heard, the podcast coming up are going to be about raising money. And I feel like this is a huge need right now in our community. So um, I've been working on for the past like month, I've been working on a money raising challenge to help you guys raise money for your business. So one of the things I put together that's going to launch here pretty soon 
is a 30-day challenge to raise at least $500,000. And the concept behind it is if I could go back five years to where I knew nothing about raising money, and I've raised tens of millions of dollars at this point, if I can go back five years and I had to raise $500,000 in 30 days, what would I teach myself every day for 30 days? What kind of things would I be doing? What would be the actions I'm taking? How would I track it? So I put it all together and we're gonna roll out one kind of lesson, one assignment, one mission each day for 30 days to help you figure out how you can raise $500,000, a million dollars, 2 million, 10 million, whatever you need to raise. How can you get that base knowledge, the mindset, the structure, all the things that we're doing right now to raise a bunch of money for our business? How to do that. So um, you can go to 500kchallenge.com. So the number 500kchallenge.com. And you can sign up now. If we're ready to launch, you'll be able to jump in. If we're not, there'll be a wait list there for you to jump on the wait list and you'll be the first one notified of when we launch it. The plan is to go live with this challenge on July 1st. I'm still creating some of the course, some of the videos at the time that you hear this. So I'm really excited about this. I think there's a huge need, whether you're a multifamily investor, single family, um, a land developer, like whatever you do, Airbnb, the ability to raise money is what has allowed me to get to where I am right now and scale up as fast as I did. And we can raise money. I just raised a bunch of money at 5%, 6% interest. It's possible. The money is out there. There's more money out there than deals. That opportunity is endless. And when the hard money lenders start to turn their lights off around COVID time, I know they're back now, but my ability to raise money allowed me to not skip a beat. So private money is so important in your business. Go to 500kchallenge.com and uh, jump on the wait list and see what it's all about. All right, guys, I'll see you on the next podcast. Thanks so much for hanging out with me. Thanks so much for hanging out here on the 7 Figure Flipping Podcast. I'll see you soon. Hey, it's Bill again, and I want to personally invite you to our biggest event of the year, Flip Hacking Live. If you could copy the exact deal sources, marketing strategies, negotiation tactics, and business systems of the most successful house flippers and wholesalers in the nation, how would that change your business? Flip Hacking Live is a three-day event that we do just once per year, and it's happening October 15th through the 17th in Orlando, Florida. We bring in the nation's top wholesalers and house flippers to walk you through everything they're doing how they're marketing directly to sellers, how they're picking up discounted off-market properties, how they're doubling their close ratio with the right negotiation tactics, how they're raising millions of dollars in private money, the things they're doing that other investors aren't doing, all of it. These are the guys and gals who are actively doing deals at a high volume in today's market all across the country. You get their full attention for three days. They have agreed to hold nothing back and you'll be right there with them so you can ask questions and get clarification on anything that you need. This is your chance to hack the nation's top flippers and wholesalers and ethically steal their exact strategies and systems. All you have to do is take notes, ask questions, and apply what you learn. But first, you need to get a ticket. We've sold out every year and ticket prices go up every few months. So go to fliphackinglive.com right now and get your tickets today. Fliphackinglive.com, October 15th through the 17th in Orlando, Florida. This is an event that you cannot afford to miss.